I'm excited about this um, series that we're in. We're in a series called God's Faithfulness in All Generations and His Heart for Parents in the Church. And this morning, I want us to talk about responding biblically to cultural trends. And this is, a, this is an important message. But before I begin, I, I want to talk about something just, just a little bit because I think sometimes we can get a little bit confused about something. And, and I want to talk about the difference between culture and politics just for a moment. Because culture is not the same as politics, and politics is not the same as culture. Sometimes politics follows a culture. In fact, normally it does. For instance, um, culture kind of moves politics a certain direction. So sometimes we often think, you know, the, the politics is not the way I'd like it to be, and that's not, it's not that way because they necessarily feel that way. It's that way because years before, culture moved that way. That as a nation, as a culture, we said these are the values that we want in our lives. These are the values that we think are important to us. They just uh, be manifest themselves politically. But that's not where it starts. It starts in culture. It starts in how we think about one another, what we believe is right and wrong at a grassroots ground level, not what's happening at the top. And so this morning, when we talk about responding biblically to cultural trends, I'm not talking about responding to politics. By the way, I normally don't. I respond to Jesus, amen? That's who's motivating my life, not politics. Now, I'd love for the world to be a perfect place, but it's not. And it's it's not a perfect place because we're not doing things well politically. Do you know that? Do you know that the world is not a good, in a good place because we don't do things well politically? That is not the reason that culture is, is not good or bad, by the way. I hope you know that. We've had thousands of years of figuring out in, in humanistic ways how to rule one another, and we never do it well. Never. Why? Because it's our idea. We, we think my idea is the best way to rule you, and it never is. God's way is always best. And so whenever we see culture off track from God's word, we see consequences that are challenging and difficult and broken and hard. And so this morning we're talking about cultural trends. Now, I want you to think for a minute, if you pick up your Bible and you start reading it, you'll notice some things. You'll notice that it communicates the heart of God for humanity. That's the Bible. You'll also notice that the way culture was living in the time of the Bible was very different from the way we live today. Would you agree? In fact, sometimes you read a section or you read a story or you read something and you think, how does that relate to me? Because it's totally different. You're talking about a farmer and his seed. I don't farm, I don't have seed. But we like farmers to grow things, amen? (laughs) I mean, we like bread, and we like vegetables, and we like meat better than vegetables. It's good to hear an amen for that one. But sometimes veggies are good. All the time, 
God's word is good. It's just different. And so we have to study it. We have to mine it. We have to find the gold in it. But right off the bat, you may see there are many differences. And a lot of the differences are just because we're living in a modern age. But you'll also notice when you read God's word that where we're at today and where God wants us to be ethically and morally is very different. And so there's cultural trends that we see in our nation and in all the nations of the world, by the way. This is, this is not an American message, by the way. It's not like we're, we're heading the direction and the rest of the world is not. The entire world is in a completely different cultural trend today than it was 50 years ago. Now, is that because we've become smarter or we, because we've chosen to ignore God's goodness from his word? As parents, one of the greatest challenges is helping our children learn how to live in this world in which the cultural trends don't align perfectly with God's word or God's best for our life. And our kids are watching. Our kids are watching our responses. They're watching how we interact with the world. They're, they're listening to the way we talk about culture and about God's word and about people and culture. And we also need some tools as parents. And so I want to talk about all of that this morning. But let me begin with a question. How do you feel about the world around you right now? Think about maybe what you've seen in the past week. Maybe you've watched the news this past week. How do you feel about the world around you? I know for me, I think the challenge for me is often I feel two opposite things at the same time. Follow me. Like at the same time, I can feel anger and compassion. Isn't that weird? Like at the same time, I can feel love and frustration. I can feel bitterness and mercy at the same time. I can see truth and grace in the same moment because the Holy Spirit is working through me. I don't want to be a person that's completely dominated by anger, amen, or completely dominated by bitterness, frustration, judgment. I want a balance in my life. Let me ask another one. How do you think God feels about the world? By the way, thank you, Avery, for your word about how God feels about the world. For God so loved the world. It's true that God loved Paul before he was Paul. When he was a horrible Saul, God loved him just the same. Recently, I read an article by Ed Stetzer, and he said something really interesting. He said that as Christians, we often respond to culture in several harmful ways. We conform, we check out, or we combat. Now, I believe these three responses directly affect our parenting, directly affect what we think and how we process the generation that's coming behind us. And so sometimes we say 
silly and maybe judgmental and maybe challenging things like, you know, our generation had it all figured out. I don't know about the generation that's next. Really? What do you think the generation before us said about us? The exact same thing. When we, in the 80s, when we were listening to rock and roll, what do you think our parents were thinking about us when they were like, you know, the Beatles are the best? And we're like, whatever. That's an opinion. That's an opinion. But here's what's interesting. The first thing we often do with culture is we conform. We try to fit in. We think that by conforming, if we're more like the world, it gives us a better opportunity to share Jesus with the world, and that's not necessarily true. We'll compromise our beliefs and our truth in God's word to fit in. But Romans 12.2 says what? Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now here's what's interesting. This verse is very clear. There is a pattern of living that this world has that is opposite of what God's desire is for humanity. This verse also declares very clearly that God wants you to know his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He wants you to understand that. But oftentimes, the, reason, the very reason that we don't understand God's will, the goodness that he has for our life, the way that we can please him, the way that we can love the world around us, the reason we often don't understand that is because we're conforming to the world. And the moment we conform to the world, it's almost like we have a mental block that blinds us from seeing all of the good things that God has for us and the lifestyle that he desires for us to live that looks like Jesus in the Gospels. And we miss it because our minds and our hearts are blind from the philosophies of the world. So we can't conform. We also check out. We check out. Now this one's popular, right? I'm going to pull out of the world. Now this one's challenging because I, I struggle with this one. Because I think there's a very fine line between living in the world that is full of evil and temptation and protecting ourselves from that evil and that temptation, and removing ourselves from the temptation of sin. We know that the, word is, that the word is clear about removing ourselves from temptation. And so it challenges us, like, what's best for ourselves and our children and our grandchildren? I mean, should we go look for 50-acre pieces of property in Alaska in the hopes that we can escape the evil of the world? Now, that makes sense to me, about every other day. <laughs> like one day I'm like, let's go for Jesus. And the next day I'm like, let's move to Alaska. <laughs> now, normally I think about moving to Alaska after I've watched the news. Because I'm like, I just want to check out. We got to get away. 
But then I remember what Jesus did. And he didn't check out. I remember that Jesus left heaven and lived in our mess. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say, I got to get as far away from that planet as possible. Those people on that round thing over there, they cannot seem to stop messing everything up. They're so broken. Why don't they just listen to me? Did you notice he didn't say that? He just said, I love you. And here I come to show that to you, to manifest that to you, and to prove that to you. And so Jesus did not check out. In fact, he checked in. What it makes me understand is that living as far away from the world is actually the opposite of what Jesus did. And I also discovered it's actually the opposite of what Jesus prayed for us and what he calls us to. Look at John 17 on the screen with me, verses 15 to 18. This is at the end of Jesus' life. He's heading to the cross and he begins to pray for all of the disciples and this is what he prays. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Man. Jesus is saying, I send you into the world, but I send you into the world with power over the evil one. I send you into the world to be a light in this dark place. And he sanctifies us with the truth. And the truth is this word. That's why it is absolutely critical that you and I are in the word and that we are helping our children be in the world. Because it helps us know what is right and wrong and choose to live holy. So we conform, we check out, but we also, this is, I think, the most popular one right now in the church. We combat. We fight. We fight the world. We become antagonistic and defensive. Ed said in his, his article, this response of antagonism and defensiveness sees culture as the enemy to be defeated instead of people to be saved. That's why I asked you at the beginning. What do you think about the world? Do you think that they're your enemy to be defeated? Or do you think that they're people to be saved? See, one of the things we must understand to have a proper outlook on the world is we are not in a fight with the people of the world. Did you hear me? We're not in a fight with the people of the world. Let me give you an example. Ephesians 6 is one of them. There's several verses like this in the New Testament. But Paul said this in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the politics of the day's schemes. No. Against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Well, this is interesting. This tells me exactly who my enemy is, and it doesn't say anything about other people. Unless, of course, the other people you are thinking of is the devil himself, but he's not person. He's spirit. Our enemy is the devil. This is why we need to be in prayer every day. This is why every day you and I need to be in prayer because battles are won in prayer first before you ever go to work or go outside our front door. See, our struggle and our fight is not against the people in the world. It's against spiritual darkness and power that hates everything good and everything about God and wants to destroy humanity because we are loved by God and created in his image. I never thought that I would see biblical truth when I watched Wonder Woman. But in the first movie, did you notice that she comes and she fights the God of war because she recognizes that the God of war is the one who's behind everything and manipulating humanity to be in war and hate one another? I know it's a movie, but isn't that what this says? That people are not the enemy. There's something behind all of us, right? There's something in all of us that becomes the enemy of God, and that is our sin nature. And the devil can so easily grab a hold of it and manipulate us. But it's not me that's behind that, mostly. It's him. So as followers of Jesus, we need to avoid these things that miss the heart of Jesus for the next generation, conforming and checking out and combating. So what should we do? Well, let me share a couple things. Let me share a couple things that I believe we should do to respond biblically to our culture. And let me begin with a verse that I think is very, very important as we begin to tackle this, and it's Colossians 2.8. On the screen is a really, really good verse when we think about culture. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it, that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now, this is exactly where I think we are at as a culture. As a culture, we are moving more and more into what? Humanism. Humanism. What is humanism? It's hollow and deceptive philosophy. Now, here's what's interesting about humanism and where our culture is at right now. The philosophy is hollow and deceptive, but it's also taken you, as this verse says, captive. So it's not just, oh, hey, this is how I think. It's that this philosophy of humanism that, we've, that our culture has embraced is taking your mind and your thoughts and your actions captive. You are now captive to that philosophy. And here's one of the reasons, one of the things that I think is, is an example 
you can get into a conversation with someone that's stuck in this captive and hollow and deceptive philosophy, and you can talk to them about things that are common sense, and they can't see it. They can't see even common sense things in humanism anymore because not just because it's something to think differently, but because it's taking you captive. It's now controlling you. Now, who's doing that controlling? Spiritual forces of darkness. So this is the challenge as parents. Because as parents, your kids are growing up in this world, and you don't want them to be taken captive by the world. So how can you respond biblically to these trends so that they're not taken captive? Well, let me give you a couple simple ways. Number one, set an example. I think as a parent, everything begins with you. It begins with you setting an example of who Jesus is, of what he looks like, what he sounds like, how he talks, how he listens, how he responds, how he loves, how he shares the truth. All of that starts with you. Ephesians 5, 1 and through 4 says, follow God's example. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And then he just kind of goes on. And what's interesting is he says here, follow God's example. This is a great way to think about parenting, to start gospel-centered parenting, which is I'm going to follow Jesus' example. As you read the past couple weeks about who Jesus is, you can begin to say, okay, that's how I should treat my kids. That's how I should treat the world around me. I should walk in the way of love. I shouldn't let anything in my life that's not going to glorify him. And I shouldn't model that to my kids. So it starts with us because little eyes are watching, right? And little older eyes are watching too. And little ears are hearing what we say. Our walls are thinner than we think, aren't they? So let's set an example of Jesus' way of living in the way of love. Second, explain why we live for Jesus. When your kid was three, was their favorite word, why? Two was no. Three was why, right? Why? Why, Daddy? Why this? Why that? Why can't I have cake for dinner? Why can't I root for the Seahawks? Because, honey, we do right things in our home. (laughs) Explain why we live for Jesus. Now, look at our theme verse with me. Uh, Our theme verse, Psalm 145, verses 3 through 7, talks about this explaining why a little bit. It says, Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell 
its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. Did you notice all the communication words there? Tell, proclaim, be on your tongue, share your story, sing. In other words, you're explaining the why. You're explaining why you follow the Lord. Now, basically, this is discipleship. This is what it means to pass on Jesus to the next generation. See, we're living in an interesting time when a majority of our culture is making decisions to live for themselves, not for the Lord. Therefore, our children need lots of explanation about why. Why is the culture like this and we live like this? Why do I hear this at school and hear this at home? We have to be explaining why. We have to give our kids vision for why we obey God's word. We have to explain to them the why. Why we say yes to certain things. Why we say no to certain things. And why God says, hey, wait for a little bit for that. There are reasons for those things. And we need to explain them. Show them all the blessings that are a part of their lives as they follow the Lord. The third thing is engage in conversation about culture. Now, this one is really hard. But if we're going to be parents that live today in the culture we live in, then that means we're going to have to engage in conversation about culture. I'm going to encourage you, don't run from hard topics. In fact, I would say, as a parent, this may be the most dangerous thing for a Christian parent to do today, to run from hard topics, to not talk about culture, to not talk at the dinner table or when you're in the car or whatever about challenging things that we go through in our faith. This may be one of the most dangerous things to actually just be quiet because our culture is engaging our children every single day. Our culture is talking every day to our kids about its hollow and deceptive philosophy. In every commercial, movie, TikTok video, Facebook and Instagram post, a tweet, a song, a billboard, a magazine, and whatever app is coming next, right? They're all designed towards middle school and high schoolers. They're, the world, the culture is engaging our kids. That means that we have to be intentional about engaging in conversation as well. If you th think with me for a moment, if your kids go to school as a sixth grader, and junior high is much different than fifth grade, and they walk down the hall, and all day long they hear 10 to 15 different views about sex, 
And that happens day after day after day after day. And you've not talked about it at all for six months. Who's engaging them? Culture is. You have to engage them in talk about culture as well, about sex and gender and alcohol and drugs and finances and friends and how to dress and all those important things in life. I think gone are the days of having one sex talk and saying, we're good, right, son? <laughs> That's, those days are gone because our culture is so different. So you have to engage in conversation about culture all the time. And that means you have to learn how to talk. You have to learn how to engage in conversation. It means you're going to have to grow and change. It means you're going to have to learn how to talk with love and respect and grace. It'll be important to talk about culture without bashing people in culture. Because people aren't the enemy. Satan's the enemy. There was a verse when I was in middle school and high school and following Jesus and trying to follow Jesus. And remember, uh, for those of you that don't know, I grew up in Las Vegas. So Las Vegas was always a couple generations ahead. I don't know if you knew that. But that's where the rest of the country went to to, to, to be ahead of the times in every single arena of life. And so in the 80s and 90s, you may think, well, Pastor Mark, that was just a different time. Not in Vegas, it wasn't. <laughs> it was just like now. I mean, there was nudity everywhere. Growing up in Las Vegas in the 80s and 90s was madness. It was crazy, right? But there's a verse that was a comfort to me. It was 1 John 3.13 that says, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Like, what? How can, how can that be a comfort? Because it reminded me, I'm not of this world. So there are going to be times where I'm different than the world and they won't understand, and that'll be okay. But we're going to have to engage in cultural conversation. Now, parents, to help you with this, you'll see a table in the commons this morning. Or you can find stuff online on our website. But in the commons is a table full of resources that you can look through. Resources for young parents, resources for parents with teens. Uh, there's resources about culture and things that are happening in culture, things that the generations now are dealing with more than we did. There's a bunch of resources out on the table that we'd love for you to look at. Please don't take the things on the table. Just write them down or put them in your phone, and you can go buy the book on Amazon. But here's what I want to encourage. As parents, we have to become intentional about um, studying God's word and reading good Christian books and understanding how to have conversation with our kids about culture. And some of these resources will help you with that. Now, as a, a caveat as well, everything out on the table is not 100% what we believe as a church. They're just good books. We'd agree with most of it, but there'll be some things we feel differently about. So don't grab a book and read it and go, Pastor Mark agrees with all of this 100%. Not necessarily, but it's still a good resource. And it's still a good opportunity to think and pray and process and think about conversation 
with your kids, okay? So those are out there. Take a look at them. There's podcast resources, all of that. If you're online, uh, you can get some of that on our website, or you can come in during the week. It'll be here. Um, Just a great opportunity. The fourth thing is empower them to live in the Spirit. I think as parents, this is something maybe we, maybe isn't something we think about very much as parents. But I want to encourage you, empower your kids to live in the Spirit. Now, why do I think this is important? I know this is important because the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us live in culture. The Holy Spirit is the one that Jesus Christ gives us when we get saved to help us live in the generation we're living in. That means the Holy Spirit needs to be strong in this generation, in mine, in the one before me, in the one after me. Every generation needs the Holy Spirit to navigate the challenges of the culture they're living in and live for Jesus. And who better to do that than a political party? No! You'll get nothing from a political party. You'll get everything you need from the Holy Spirit. So empower your kids to live in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit yourself. Grow in the Spirit. Teach your kids about the Holy Spirit. Because that's who the Holy Spirit is. Now, listen to, what, listen to this definition about what you and I look like, sound like, and act like when we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is, can you read it with me? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, just for a minute, think. Wouldn't you like your child to look like that when they grow up? That's, isn't that what we all want? That's what I want as a parent. That's what I want as a grandparent. That's what I want for all of our culture. I want everyone on the planet to love and have peace and live in self-control, know what to say yes to, what to say no to. I hope every child grows up and lives like that. But that means as parents, we're going to have to live like that. We're going to have to live in the Spirit and then empower our kids with the Spirit. Now, I happen to actually have a theological viewpoint about this. And it's this, that children can often be more filled with the Spirit than we can as adults. You know why? Because they still have a childlike faith. And they don't have a bunch of junk in the way. (laughs) And as adults, we do. It's just true. We have experiences and brokenness and hurt and pain and our political views and everything else all in the way of living in the Spirit. And kids are just like, can I go to the store and get a Slurpee with the Holy Spirit on my bike? You're like, yeah, here's a dollar. Well, actually, a Slurpee's like two now, huh? See, that's different from my generation. It was like a quarter. And some of you are in the room going, they gave them away when I was a kid. 
(laughs) (laughs) The last thing is extend the love of Jesus to the world. Extend the love of Jesus to the world. I want to encourage you parents to serve the world with your kids in loving ways. When you serve the world in loving ways, it encourages them to love the world instead of hate it. When you serve the world in the name of Jesus, it shows our children that Jesus has the answer for their pain and the brokenness of the world. When you extend the love of Jesus to the world, it helps our kids see the world as people to help in Jesus' name, not people to avoid or hate because they're different than us. We must extend the love of Jesus to the world. So I'm going to encourage you, look for somewhere where you can extend the love of Jesus and serve. At a homeless shelter or somewhere that gives away food or or just some place in the kingdom or just in the world that just serves those that need Jesus in a significant way. So extend the love of Jesus to the world. Now, I recognize that responding biblically to cultural trends will be one of the most challenging things that you can do. And so lastly, I want to encourage you. One of the ways that you can do this best as a parent is to be in a group with other parents and with other parents that have gone before you. Like, have you noticed that the Bible teaches that the older people in the church should teach the younger people in the church? It says that all the time. And so it's important for us as parents, if you're parenting right now, I want to encourage you to, you need a group of friends that you're parenting with. You know, one of the most encouraging things for me as a parent was to send my child over to another Christian home who said the exact same thing I did. So that when my kids came back to our home, they, they didn't say, man, they didn't confirm when they were somewhere else. My parents are lame. These parents are saying the same thing my parents are saying. My grandparents are saying the same thing my parents are saying. Why? Because we all use the same curriculum. So get around some people that are using the same curriculum. And remember, God wants to be faithful in every generation. And what a privilege, what a joy, what an honor as a parent to help your kids be faithful in their generation to take the gospel to a lost and hurting world, to go to the ends of the earth with the message of the hope of Jesus. What a privilege to get to do that with your life while your kids are in your home. Would you stand with me? I'd like us to read our our theme verse together. It's Psalm 145, verses 3 through 7. I'd like us to read it together just like almost as our, like this is our mission, right? This is what we're believing. This is what we're standing on. And so would you read it with me? Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. 
No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness.